Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for a special all-church small group series called The Chosen. Based on the first ever multi-season TV show about the life of Christ, we're going to explore the unlikely people whose lives He turned upside down. Together, we'll encounter Christ with fresh eyes and open hearts. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you'll leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Well, happy fall, everybody. I'm Pastor Kyra, and it is a privilege to be here with you all today, whether here at Liquid or via church online. Now, if you tuned in last week, you know Pastor Tim kicked off our new small group series called The Chosen, a cinematic sermon series based on the TV show The Chosen, which is a multi-season binge-watch show for the Netflix generation. And what it does is it takes scripture and it combines it with the power of the screen to bring the Bible to life. Now, I'm going to confess to you, I binged Jesus in two days, and I cried in every episode, okay? My husband would come up to me in between the episodes, and I'd be a hot mess. My eyes would be red, my nose would be full of snot, and he'd be like, are you okay? And I'm like, I am. It's just that Jesus is so amazing. And he'd be like, okay, I'm just going to go walk here. But I had that reaction because I found that the show's creators did a beautiful job portraying Jesus in a fully human and fully God way. And I felt God drawing me to his heart across each of the episodes. So I really hope you had an opportunity to start watching this week. Now, last Sunday, Pastor Tim took us on a journey where we got to see Jesus's heart for his children. And this week, I'm excited to continue this journey of faith and film by sharing the life of a character that drew me in from the first moment she appeared on screen, Mary of Magdala, or as I grew up knowing her, Maria Magdalena. Now, we know very little about Mary's life before she met Christ, but the Bible actually has plenty of details about Mary's life after she met Christ. And the chosen writers imagine a backstory about Mary's life using the details we know in the Bible to try to depict what it must have been like. And so the show takes us on this journey of brokenness and redemption with Jesus right smack in the center of it all. And this journey begins when Jesus calls Mary by her name. That's the title of my message today, by the way. I have called you by name. So let's get started. The first thing I want you to know is that Mary Magdalene, Maria Magdalena, is one of the Bible's most mysterious characters. And people have been making stuff up about her for a couple thousand years. In fact, if you saw the movie Da Vinci Code, then you know she's been called Jesus' wife. She's been accused of being pregnant with his child. And if you see Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting, The Last Supper, then you know he painted her as an apostle. And many Christians themselves think that Mary was a prostitute, which, by the way, it is not true. So who was Mary Magdalene really? Well, in the Bible, we first find her mentioned in the book of Luke. So I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke 8, verse 1 and 2, and we're going to dive into God's Word. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. 
The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Now let me ask you a question, quick show of hands. How many of you know someone who is demon-possessed? Don't point to them right now. I just asked you to raise your hand. If you know anybody who is demon-possessed, Mary is someone who had not just one demon, not just two demons, but actually tres, cuatro, cinco, seis, siete, seven demons, in case you didn't catch that. If you saw her, you would probably call her Crazy Mary. Okay, she's a, she'd be a garish creature with disheveled hair, sunken cheeks, and crazy eyes. I don't know if you've ever been to the Port Authority in New York, and you've probably seen perhaps some street people, maybe mentally ill, and they're kind of mumbling to themselves. Have you ever seen that? That's probably how you would have experienced Mary. But it wasn't always like that. In fact, you will know that if you've actually met somebody struggling with addiction, for example, you know they weren't always like that. Way back when, maybe 35 years before, Mary was just somebody's little girl. And the writers of The Chosen imagine what it might have been like for Mary to grow up in the small town of Magdala. Now, Mary grew up in a Jewish home, and although she probably couldn't attend school, it's quite possible her father taught her memory verses from the Torah. words from the prophet Isaiah the prophet Isaiah right thus says the Lord who created you O Jacob and he who formed you O Israel fear not come now I want to hear you sing I want to hear your pretty voice come fear not for I have redeemed you I have called you by name you are mine you are mine. That's right. Now, at some point between the time she's a little girl to when she's all grown up, the Bible tells us that she was possessed by seven demons. Look at verse 2. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Now, I don't know about you. But when I read this passage, I'm like, ¿Pero qué pasó aquí? What happened to this poor woman? 
Because this isn't a, a made-up story, okay? Mary of Magdala was a historical person. In fact, Pastor Tim told me that when he went to Israel last year, he got to go to the recently discovered town of Magdala. And you see, in 2009, the Catholic Church began construction on a retreat center alongside the Sea of Galilee. And when excavation began, they actually discovered a first century synagogue where it is certain that Jesus taught. And as they kept digging, they discovered an entire first century Jewish town lying just below the surface. And now the, time, the town of Magdala actually features a beautiful church called Duke in Altum, which is Latin for put out into the deep. And the chapel has a women's atrium that exalts the presence of women in the gospel. And in this atrium, there is a fresco of a first century woman. And you see that Jesus is reaching out to her. And there's a dog that's snarling at the woman. And when you look closer at the fresco, you see seven black ghosts flying out of her. And that's when you realize it's Mary of Magdala out of whom Jesus cast seven demons. Church, that is literally the verse that we just read right here. And you know, as I look at this picture and these seven ghosts, flying out of her, I actually start to wonder what would cause somebody to be traumatized seven times over to experience a demonic assault. The Bible actually doesn't tell us. The Bible just says seven demons were cast out of her. Now at the time, we do know that Magdala was occupied by Rome. So what the writers of The Chosen did was they imagined that Mary was sexually assaulted by a Roman soldier and that the darkness that she descended into after this assault left her open to this spiritual attack. Now, I want to be very clear that sexual assault does not lead to demonic possession. Nowhere in the Bible do any of the Gospels make this connection. But I do think that we can all understand that in the face of something as demonic as sexual assault, a spiritual stronghold can sometimes develop. And what is a stronghold? It's just a fancy term for one of the enemy's strategies, that when you are attacked over and over and over again, whether because of a sin that you committed or a sin that was committed against you, you start to believe the lies of the enemy. You start to believe that you're worthless, that you're dirty, and you believe that you're a mistake, that if anybody knew what you did or what happened to you, they would actually run the other way, especially God. How dare you even think that you could be worthy in the eyes of God? That's a spiritual stronghold. That is a demonic attack. And some of you right now know exactly what I'm talking about. So what do you do when you have a demonic possessed woman in your town? Who can help? Well, if you live in the first century, you call the rabbi, which in this case was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Can you say Nicodemus? Pastor Tim is actually going to tell us about him next week, so make sure you tune in. And so Nicodemus 
is called to exorcise the demons from Mary. And you would actually think, well, a guy like him is going to have success because he is a rabbi after all. But have you ever tried to do an exorcism? Watch this. I adjure you by the holy angels, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Uriel, and Raziel. I adjure you, cursed dragon, and diabolical legions. Come out! I adjure you, spawn of Beelzebub, abaddon and Sheol, by the utterance of all the watchers and the holy ones. In the name of Adonai, God of the heavens, cease to deceive this human creature. I command you, in covenant with Abraham, in the names of Jacob, Isaac, Moses, the all-powerful El Shaddai. Fly from this innocent soul! Now, the Bible doesn't specify how Mary's demonic possession affected her, but the sheer number of demons, seven, means her condition was serious. And so the show's creators give you an idea of what it must have been like. You see in the scene that it's causing her mental distress, physical fits, anguish, and torment of her body and mind. And the worst part is, is that no one can really help the poor woman. She's too far gone. And so Mary is left alone and she's in pain and she starts losing hope because her situation is not getting any better. So she goes to the one place she thinks will provide her comfort, a bar. Can you relate? I mean, wouldn't you want to numb yourself out too if you were Mary? Because that's what she wants. She wants to numb herself out. She wants to sit in a bar and drink cerveza por favor so that she can forget for a few hours the nightmare that is her life. By the way, when you see someone sitting in a bar who's clearly in pain and who's just trying to numb out, have you ever actually thought they must have a lot of demons? Am I right? But Jesus meets us right in the midst of our pain and desperation, in the broken and painful spaces of our lives. And I came here to tell somebody that's struggling today that Jesus can deliver you from your demons. He delivers us from our brokenness. He delivers us from our trauma. He delivers us from our addictions. And he delivers us from our spiritual strongholds. The Bible is full 
of examples of Jesus meeting people with the truth of who he is in their hour of need. And Mary Magdalene is just one of them. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, they were never able to understand this. Okay, they couldn't understand that delivering people is at the core of who Jesus is. They're always like, pero que es esto Jesús? And so one night after Jesus met with sinners and tax collectors in their house, the Pharisees went up to Jesus and they said, Jesus, why do you do this? Meaning, why do you meet with these people, Jesus? To which Jesus said to them, it is not the sick, or excuse me, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Translation, you don't have to be perfect to be worthy of Jesus' time and affection. He comes for the lost, the sick, and the broken. He's not going to wait for you to have it all together and stand around far in the distance while you fight to get to him. No, baby, it's actually the opposite. He's coming after you. Amen? Type amen if in the chat if you agree. If you are struggling today, I've come to tell you that Jesus can deliver you from your demons. And you may say, Kyra, how do I know? Because he delivered my family too. You see, my husband is my best friend. He is the love of my life. And by God's grace, we've been married for 17 years. We've had a great marriage. But we've also had our ups and downs. In fact, I like to say our relationship is psychological. I'm psycho and he's logical. <laughs> and by the way, I did ask my husband Jose for his permission to share this story with you. And he said yes, but he did say it was going to cost me. And I said what? And he said you have to mow the lawn. So <laughs> and there you go. But you see, after a second child was born with Down syndrome, my husband and I we were trying to find a new normal for our family, but we were struggling. Personally, I was dealing with postpartum depression. I was learning how to care for an infant with Down syndrome. I was trying to care for my older daughter, who was three at the time, and I wasn't doing well. In fact, if you ask Jose, he'll tell you I was like a zombie, a shell of my former life, and it crushed him to see me like that. And I remember one particular night, my husband's despair over our situation, over the frail state of our marriage, the grief of the special needs diagnosis that we had just received, the sense of powerlessness that he felt as a man trying to help me. It all got to be too much. And so one night, back in our old house in Puerto Rico, he closed the door and he sat on our bed. And in a voice full of anguish, he cried out, Señor Jesus, I can't do this anymore. I don't have the strength to do this by myself. I can't help my family. I don't know how to help my wife. I don't know how to help our new child. And in his grief, all he knew to do was to say, but Lord, I believe you call me yours. And so I'm asking you now for your help. 
And church, I just want to tell you today, if you are going through deep waters, if you've gone too far into the wilderness, if you've made a mess of your situation, I want you to know that Jesus sees you. And if you call out to him, Jesus can deliver you from your demons. That's what Jesus did for Mary Magdalene. In the scene you're about to watch, Mary sits at the bar to look for comfort down the bottom of a mug. And the bartender tells her, the drink won't help you, chica. It's only going to distract you. In other words, Mary, you're just using alcohol as a numbing mechanism, but it's not going to make you feel better. And Mary, who is calling herself Lilith at this point, says, I don't care. By the way, Lilith is a name that Mary gave herself because she wants to escape her past. And do you know what it means? It means bitter waters. Does it surprise anyone here that she's calling herself bitter? She doesn't want to be called Mary. She's been in pain for a long time, and she is bitter. So she sits at the bar, and she tells the bartender, just give it to me. Dame la cerveza. Have you ever done that? You're struggling with something, and you don't want to deal with it, so you numb out. Can I ask, what's your go-to? Is it Netflix and numb? Drink and sleep? Or shop for shoes, just asking for a friend on that last one. <laughs> but if you're struggling, I say to you again, Jesus can deliver you from your demons. That's what he does for Mary in a bar on the outskirts of Magdala. Check this out. I don't know what else I can do to help you. Give me that. Lots of it. That's not going to solve your problems. It's meant to distract from no them. No more preaching. Just give it to me. Lilith, please listen to what I'm says the Lord who created you. 
and he who formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Let's give some worship and praise to the Lord. Wow. Wow. Just one word. Mary. And do you know that I wonder, when was the last time that she actually heard that? Maybe not since she was a little girl. But Jesus calls her by name, and her glass shatters to the ground. She is letting go of her past, her brokenness, and her despair, and she is responding to Jesus' call in her life. She will never again be the same person. And when Jesus, she asks Jesus, who are you? Jesus powerfully answers her from the book of Isaiah, the very words Mary's father spoke into her soul. And church, I want to invite you to read this verse aloud with me because this is such a powerful verse. I want you to hear Jesus saying it to your soul. Here we go, okay? One big loud voice. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have what? Called you by name and you are mine. Can you say those three words again? You are mine. Church, do you know what that is? Do you know what that's called? Possession. That's right. Jesus is telling Mary, you have been possessed by all these things that have happened to you, but now I possess you. You are mine. And today God is speaking these same words to you. God possesses you. We're not possessed by our past. We're not defined by our brokenness. We're not labeled by our mistakes. God has named you. God has chosen you, and he's called you by name. You are possessed not by the devil, but by the Holy Spirit of the living God. Do you believe this, church? If you believe this, can you give God a praise? If you're struggling today with feelings of shame, of guilt, of regret, I want you to hear Jesus telling you the same thing he told Mary. That's not for you. Did you guys catch that in the clip? She reaches for her drink and Jesus puts his hand on top of her and very lovingly he says, that's not for you. Can I ask you during this pandemic, what is possessing you that Jesus is saying that's not for you anymore? Is it that you're drinking a little too much to cope with the tensions of this pandemic and you can't stop and now you hate yourself? 
or you're watching soft porn to take the edge of what we're going through in the pandemic and you feel guilty? Could it be that you are mired in shame because of something that happened and you can't move on? I don't know what it looks like for you, but I want you to know that Jesus is telling you that's not for you. He's putting his finger on something right now. You know what it is. And he's saying those feelings, they're not for you because they come from the enemy. They don't come from me. And the enemy wants nothing more than to make you feel like you didn't just make a mistake. You are the mistake. And if this is you, if this is hitting close to you, can I say something to you with all of the passion of Christ in my heart. I want you to listen to my words. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. So those lies that have kept you in a mental prison, oppressed and unable to break free, Jesus breaks them with his truth, saying, you belong to me. You're my treasured possession. I have redeemed you. You see, Jesus doesn't just deliver you from your demons. Jesus will deliver you to your destiny. That's what he did for my husband. When my husband cried out to God in our bedroom that night, he came to Jesus in desperation. He was broken and desperate. And in the middle of my husband's cry, Jesus met him with his presence. Jesus called my husband by name and he said, Jose, you and your family belong to me. Your little boy is mine. Your little girl is mine and you are mine. Jesus saw past my husband's helplessness, past his brokenness and his despair, and instead he called him his own. And in the face of so much love, all my husband could do was cry at the enormous sense of relief. Relief that we now know is the peace that surpasses all understanding, the kind that makes no sense to this world, but it's perfect when you allow Jesus to deliver you from your brokenness and transform you into one of God's chosen ones. And Jose and I, we began to live that. We realized God had a destiny for our family. He doesn't make mistakes, and he is greater than my depression. He was greater than the special needs diagnosis we got and greater than any worry we had about our future because Jesus doesn't just deliver you from your demons. He delivers you to your destiny. Type amen in the chat if you agree. Our family had a destiny, and you know what? So did Mary. Her whole life, she was looked at as an insignificant, demon-possessed woman until she met Jesus, who called her by name and said, I have a destiny for you too. And what was Mary's destiny? To be the last to leave the cross and the first to go into the tomb, to be the apostle to the apostles. Did you know that, church? 
We don't know too many details about Mary's life, but the one detail that we do know in the scriptures is that Mary came to the tomb that first Easter Sunday to properly prepare the body of her teacher. And all she found was an empty tomb. This was the Savior that had changed her life, and Mary was grieving. She was crying so much, she didn't even recognize Jesus when he appeared to her. She thought he was the gardener until Jesus said to her one word. And what is that word? Mary. And she recognized his voice. And do you know what the Gospel of John tells us? Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Mary had a destiny. She had a special role, handpicked by Jesus Christ himself. Her life had a purpose. And what was it? To tell the good news to the rest of his disciples. To go back and tell the boys, I'm the God of the living, not the dead. And you may be sitting here today thinking, God can't use me. My life is too far gone. I'm too messed up. Excuse me, if Jesus can choose Mary of Magdala to be the apostle to the apostles and base the entire truth of the resurrection on the power of her testimony and spark a global movement that lasts 2,000 years, he can turn your mess into a message too. Amen? Amen. And I've got to praise. Amen. And you want to know why? Because Jesus doesn't just deliver you from your demons. Jesus will deliver you to your destiny. That was Mary's destiny. And he has a destiny for you too. And what is that destiny, church? To fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. And you are mine. Church, in a few minutes, we're going to sing, Oh, Come to the Altar. And I want to invite you to give over to Christ whatever it is that's been possessing you this season. Whatever it is that you have felt the Lord saying to you today, that's not for you. To release what you've been carrying to allow him to deliver you. That's his invitation today, to trust that when we give to Christ our past, our mistakes, when we release the weight of our guilt, the weight of our shame, we experience his redemption and we experience his love and it propels us into our destiny and we can receive the fullness of life that Jesus died to give us. Amen. Let me pray for you, church. Father, I thank you that your word right now has intended its purpose and you've been speaking to your people and I know that you are bringing things up to the surface steering hearts with the truth of your love 
with the truth of your grace and your compassion and you're inviting them right now to come to the altar to sit in your feet in your presence and allow ourselves to feel your love and to receive your grace we thank you father that in all things you are you're working for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes we pray all this in your son's name amen Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.